Welcome to Entire Pursuit Podcast, where I believe we can dislodge doubt through engagement, uncovering inherent value. I'm your host, Jeremy Miller, a guide on our journey to help get a few things done, convinced the second best time to start is today. And here's my intro to Entire Pursuit, episode number six. I got to do an interview with my friend, Scott Quattro. This is exactly why I started this podcast. I get a chance to talk to these talented individuals that hopefully will inspire you, show you their passion, give you some ideas on whatever idea you have that you want to bring to life. So whether it's launching a business, starting a, a new goal, whatever. This episode is about mission statements. We talked about one-liners, slogans, taglines last time, and I thought it'd be fun to, to talk about mission statements next. We got into some of the detail. It'd be fun to have a post or another follow-up interview with Scott. We'll see if we can make that happen, but I hope you enjoy this. I think you will. I enjoyed my conversation, and enjoy. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, Scott. Hey, Jeremy. Great to be with you. I got Scott to do this because we wanted to talk about mission statements. I was just re-listening to my episode last, and we I started to get into mission statements a little bit, even though I wanted to go into one-liners or taglines, but I think they're very intimately linked. Yeah. We had just talked about mission statements right before I recorded that last episode. Yeah. That's why I predicted... If I can get Scott on here, I'm going to do it. So okay. welcome to the podcast. Yeah, again, thanks for having me. It's always fun to talk about strategy and, and mission. So really glad to do it. Thanks, Scott. Scott's a professor up on Lookout Mountain at Covenant College. Yeah. yeah. And a father of many kids, a husband, and I was going to say a hockey player. True that. Yeah. Uh, hockey's deep in me. Played last night, played in a couple tournaments the last two weeks. Uh, deep in me, love to play the game. Scott's, I want to say, uh, an experienced podcaster. This is his third podcast, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, one of them. Really interesting was a, a a live debate, a verbal debate on on a topic relative to strategy. Interesting. Uh, that was a real good challenge and a lot of fun. Yeah. All right. This one we're talking about mission statements. Scott does some consulting besides being a a professor. Yeah. Yeah. He described working on a mission statement with a, a client of his or a proposal. He was going to propose it. And so I was like, all right, this is perfect. We can talk about it. I think our short conversation, let's say it's 20 minutes, will help to somebody that's either further along or right at the beginning of how do you even start? Sure. We've talked about, you and I, about Donald Miller has a formula. Right. He's developed a couple of different ones. Yeah. He's always changed his mind, but yeah. he likes one that says, I want to do X by X by X. And you and I went back and forth on our last lunch to say, okay, I don't agree that mission statements are necessarily time bound or you can't necessarily accomplish it. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, Whereas I Donald think... Miller would say, I, I want you to be able to accomplish it and measure it that you accomplished it. Sure. So he would say, I want to go buy some milk from the grocery store very defined. You sure. know if you got to the grocery store and got milk. Understood. If somebody said, I want to go to the grocery store and they went to the zoo, they know they would be off, let's say, I'm just using quotation marks, mission. Sure. I hear that. Yeah. So I think there's some elements to, so thanks again for this, Jeremy. <laughs> I think there's some elements to what 
Donald Miller is after in the sense of, you know, specificity is good for sure. Um, and, and you should be able to look yourself in the mirror and say, are we on mission or not? Uh, and in fact, a, a well-articulated mission statement uh, gives you some sense of strategic bumpers. You know, what are our boundaries? Where do we compete? Where do we play as an enterprise? Um, and at the same time, I think there's a, there's a subtle but important difference between a mission and a vision. So a mission to me is um, enduring. A vision is time-bound. Uh, a mission is the why. And a vision is the where, is the where. Now, uh, at some level, I don't care what you call them. You can call it enduring purpose and strategic trajectory for mission and vision. I don't care. But methodologically, it's important that they are um, distinct and yet uh, they're independent yet interdependent. So let me give you a little sense of what I mean by all of that. So I think it's artificial to talk about mission without setting it into the larger context of overarching strategy. And at the end of the day, strategy ultimately is about the human capital, because if the human capital isn't aligned and energized by the strategy of an enterprise, if the employees aren't energized and aligned by the strategy of the enterprise, then the strategy is doomed to failure. So I think a really important starting point is, look, every enterprise has three sources of capital that it needs to try to generate results by combining these three sources of capital together, human capital, material capital, financial capital, employees, plant property and equipment and raw materials, if you will, and money and money. And you put them together and you try to optimize results. Well, um, the fact is that the human capital literally makes all the difference when it comes to the results. You can have an awesome brand and really great raw materials and great cool office space and great buildings and a lot of money. But if you combine that material capital and that financial capital with the wrong employees or those employees aren't aligned around the strategy of the enterprise, the results will absolutely suffer. There's no way around that. And so I think that's a really important starting point, the primacy of human capital. And when you prioritize human capital, one of the first things you need to recognize about human capital is that that those employees very badly want to be energized and aligned around the strategy of the place, the enterprise that they're working within. And so big picture, human capital is most important. Uh, second big picture, you've got to get clarity. Your strategy needs to involve clarity and alignment around mission, values, and vision. Mission is, why are we here? Values are, how do we roll? Vision is, where are we headed? What are we shooting for? So that, to me, if we're going to talk about mission, it's not going to make a whole lot of sense unless we place it in the context of those two big picture truths. Human capital is most important, and human capital really wants to have clarity and alignment around why they're there, how they roll culturally, and what they're shooting for, where they're headed as part of an enterprise. Uh, and when they do have that clarity, um, for sure, uh, there's more prosperity generated by the enterprise and the employees, the human capital in that enterprise that have clarity on mission, values, and vision, they collectively say, bring it on. Let's go. Let's They're fulfilled. Go. They feel some fulfillment. They Big see time. how they fit into that bigger Big time. vision or yeah, mission. You bet. Um, and, and so the mission and the, and the core values, the, the why and the how, are um, they're enduring 
and they are, I'll use Simon Sinek's language here, they are infinite in their time horizon. And so here's maybe a big disconnect between me and Donald Miller uh, because he says, hey, it's time bound. You know if you've accomplished it or not, or you know if you're off mission. I agree with him on you know if you're off mission. Uh, I disagree with the idea that you know if you've accomplished it because the right mission for an enterprise, it is truly infinitely aspirational. You'll never fully accomplish it. And that's awesome. That's part of what compels the people in the enterprise. For Googlers, if you're a Googler, yeah. I was going to say Google. It might not be a mission. It might be a tagline, but you've named that slogan. Oh, yeah. Their mission is clear. I haven't noticed yeah. them even publicized on their page because their page is very basic. And that's what yeah, I was going to yeah, get to. It's yeah. not necessarily for the customers. It's more internally. If I sat in a Bingo. seat at Google, yep. I would probably hear what you're just not going to say. Yeah. So another big picture truth, Jeremy, that you're hitting on. Mission values vision, your strategy, your statements of strategy, which by the way, you need to get clarity on to the point of getting it on one page. If you can't get it on one page, you haven't thought about it hard enough. Separate conversation or a parallel conversation. But back to mission, yeah. It, all that's written for the team. It's not written for shareholders. It's not written for investors. It's not written for customers or suppliers or governance entities. They all feel it. And they feel the benevolence of a group of employees living out mission values and pursuing their vision well. But you don't write it for outside or you don't write it for any stakeholder other than the employees, the human capital. It's written for the team. Great. And so if you're a Googler, you know this. We organize and make universally accessible the world's information. That is the enduring strategic why, the purpose, the mission of Google. And it's hugely energizing and galvanizing for the employees of Google, for Googlers. And rather infinite. It is. It, it, they'll never reach a point where they'll <laughs> go, okay, we've done it. We've completely organized and made universally accessible all the world's information, and we've done it perfectly. No, it's, it's infinite in its time horizon. When we're done discussing, uh, the, when we're done with this podcast, I'm going to literally walk downstairs and around the corner to the headquarters for one of my clients. It's a company called Graincraft. They're the third largest wheat milling company in the United States, and they're the largest that's privately owned. It's a, over a billion dollars top line wheat milling company. They turn wheat into flour. Okay. That's not a very compelling mission statement, right? We make flour. <laughs> and I worked with the executive team there, and their mission statement when we started was like five sentences, and it touched on every stakeholder, and it talked about maximizing profit. If you make maximizing profit, the purpose, the why of your enterprise, you're missing it all together. Profit's awesome. Maximizing profit, optimizing profit, great thing to do. But, the, but that's the purpose of business as a whole. It's not the purpose of a particular business, right? So again, that's an interesting other parallel conversation. But too often, that piece of the why of business as a whole gets muddied up and brought into the conversation of the purpose of a particular business. And then you lose the galvanizing, energizing clarity that comes with a statement like this for Graincraft. Through trust, dedication, and relationships, we unlock the goodness of grains and nourish people. That's a heck of a lot better than we maximize profit for our owners or more inane, you know, we turn wheat into flour. <laughs> you know, through trust, dedication, and relationships, we unlock the goodness of grains and nourish people. Again, infinite in its time horizon, 
puts some realistic bumpers strategically around where they, they choose to go and what they choose to do or not do. Uh, and for Graincraft right now, those bumpers are sort of important because, you know, uh, flour consumption on a per capita basis in the United States, pre-pandemic, the pandemic, there was a bit of a bump because people were baking a lot at home. And, but at the same time, collectively, you step back and you, and you spread out the data. Per capita flour consumption is going down. We're meat, we're eating less bread. Okay. Uh, the, the gluten free, uh, piece of the puzzle is in there. We're, we're, you know, we're always going to eat bread, but people are increasingly eating other types of grains. So, um, cauliflower based flour, right? For pizza. For pizza. <laughs> exactly. And so for Graincraft now, they're like, okay, we unlock the goodness of grains and nourish people. What other grains can we leverage our core competencies in relative to wheat milling that we might be able to get into these other adjacent markets? And, and right now for them, a very important part of their strategic discussion. But they're not going to go outside of unlocking the goodness of grains. It would be unwise for them to do that because under you know, grain craft. So I love it. It gives them some bumpers. It does. This is great. It does. It's infinite in its time horizon. The bumpers are not overly narrow. No, nope. but by the time you're Graincraft, you know Graincraft, uh, the the origins of the entity that's now called Graincraft go back 50, 60, 70 years. You know there are some things that they're really good at, and there's a whole lot of things they wouldn't be good at. And unlocking the goodness of grains through uh, you know wheat milling or other types of grain milling, um, they're really good at that. And so there's reasonable bumpers. Uh, and those bumpers are appropriately reflective of of their deep heritage in, in the wheat milling industry. Yeah, so it's an interesting time in their history. And the room lit up when that executive team got to that mission statement. The room literally lit up and they literally couldn't wait to get out to the mills, all 15 plus uh, flour mills across the United States and and talk to the mill hands, which is their language for the frontline employees on the floor making the flour. And, and share the excitement of, hey, our enduring strategy in terms of our mission. And that was very well received. It's been uh, sort of universally embraced by the employees of, of Graincraft. Yeah. Great. Congrats yeah. on being their guide to get them there. I'm sure it was a boardroom of very talented men and women that helped get there. But it took somebody like you with that passion to get them to that concise mission statement. Because I... Give kudos to you for being able to memorize it, your customers. Sure. Mission. Yeah. So that could then mean that their employees can memorize it because it is concise. Yeah. It's energizing. Yeah. It's got a lot of similarities to what Donald Miller would recommend a mission statement. Sure. Has. You bet. Yeah. Concise. Uh, there's specificity. It's easily memorized. Mm -hmm. Ideally, easy to identify with it if you're part of that enterprise. It, it, you can't take grain crafts mission statement and plunk it down in any other company that's involved in making flour and say, there you go. If you could, that would be problematic. Okay. Even truer for core values, man, when we get to the level of core values, that maybe that's another podcast. <laughs> um, those core values have to be uniquely nuanced articulations of the culture of that particular enterprise. And, and, and boy, is that, is, is the nuance language there important? It's, it's also important with a mission statement. You can't take a mission or the core values language and put them down in any, any other enterprise and say, there you go. If you could, 
then you got to go back and start over. Okay. And so for Graincraft, I think that's true. For Google, I think that's true. Uh, for Tranco, another company here in town that I have the privilege of working with, um, two brothers, Bruce and Byron Trantham, uh, very unique, different kinds of guys that have joined that, that joined together 25 years ago and started uh, a third-party logistics company with a primary focus on trucking. And um, there from the beginning, they as brothers have been really, really invested in building the team, focusing on building the team of Tranco as almost the core of the purpose of the company, not trucking, but building the team. So their mission statement, we invest in our team to deliver unparalleled supply chain excellence for our partners. They started with, we invest in our team. I've yet to work with a client that got to a mission statement where the start was, we invest in our team. <laughs> and for Bruce and Byron, it made so much sense to them. And again, when the executive team got to those right words, and trust me, it's hard to get to those words. When I was working with the Graincraft team, we didn't get to those exact words until after probably 20 to 25 hours of conversation around strategy with mission being in the mix. Tranco was a little quicker, maybe 15 hours, but again, lots of broader strategy conversation. But with Tranco, when we got to those words, again, the room lit up and they literally couldn't wait to get out there and share it with the Tranco employees. Hey, here's why. Here's why we're here. Here's our strategic purpose. So I'm sort of surprised, but not surprised because these customers of yours are tuned in enough to engage you as a consultant because they value human capital. I so think, they, I think that's true, Jeremy. I think, um, I don't have a client that has engaged me to help the executive team with, with strategy, uh, strategy formulation and strategy execution and then one-on-one -on -one executive coaching with different members of the leadership team all around that. I don't have a single client that's ever, that, that is, has engaged me ever that I could look back on or look on now and say, yeah, they don't really value human capital. <laughs> Otherwise, why would they have engaged me, right? Exactly. What are they paying me for? Because uh, they know I'm going to bring into the room that bias. They know up front. Uh, I'm going to bring into the room the bias of, look, human capital's got to be the primacy. You've got to emphasize and prioritize that. And then you have to believe that they very badly want to be fully engaged in the mission, values, and vision of the enterprise. Um, and if you're open to that conversation, let's get at it. If that sounds like um, warm and fuzzy stuff that doesn't resonate with you, then then we're probably not. I've had a, I did have one client, short term client, that literally kicked me out of their boardroom. <laughs> that was <laughs> interesting. Story. Yeah, um, they thought they wanted all that. I thought they wanted all that. It's, it's one of only, two, and they'll remain nameless. It was. It's one of only two Fortune 500 companies that I've had as a client. Um, and yeah, I, I. It was. It was a little bit of a of a. Um, of a pleasant way of kicking me out of the boardroom, but basically the CEO kicked me out of the boardroom and said, yeah, we don't want this in, in so many words. Wow. Yeah, that was an interesting moment to say the least. And, and I didn't handle any of that perfectly, but I did what I thought they'd hired me to do. And I worked with a team of their employees to work on strategy formulation and including a couple of their senior executives that were in the room, in the boardroom, when we gave the update and the CEO didn't want to have anything to do with it. It was interesting. Yeah. It's very interesting. You were so specific and they knew early on this isn't a fit. So kudos again to you for, 
for having that that vision on, hey, this is where we're going with me. Yeah, yeah. And we reached that update moment after we'd been at it for about five months with okay. that team that they designated, including two of the senior execs mm-hmm. that were in the boardroom when I gave the update. And, um, and the CEO didn't have it. And then afterward, one of those two execs came over to me and said, man, we need this so badly. I'm sorry. I said, well, I hear you. Yeah. Um, no sour grapes, but thank you. Cool. Yeah, it was an interesting moment. Um, That's a good story. Yeah. Most so, of my clients are, are local to Chattanooga. Mm-hmm. They tend to be privately owned, although I do have one right now that's publicly traded. Uh, but most are privately owned. Maybe there's a bit more natural sensitivity to the primacy of human capital in a privately owned enterprise. I don't know. I've never really thought about that, at least not as directly as I'm thinking about it right now. But um, but yeah, almost all my clients, other than a few, have been privately owned. Yeah. And we didn't get into this, but that's how I got clued into you. I got introduced to you because you do work at two companies I came to Chattanooga to interview with. So somebody was like, I think you should really connect with Scott. And I was like, I remember that first couple of weeks in town, I connected with Scott. So thanks for going out to lunch with me and continue that tradition to, yeah. to go out to lunch every, every few months. I enjoyed a lot, Jeremy. You, um, from the beginning, I've told you your intellectual curiosity is kind of off the charts. And I love <laughs> that about you. And so it's a whole lot of fun to get together and, and share things that and provoke one another around things that we're curious about. And then also learn about what's going on in one another's lives. That's yeah, been that's families. been a blessing too. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, thanks for bringing me up to campus one time on a panel discussion. I really enjoy that you are a professor and then you consult with companies. So you talk about it theoretically. Yeah. And then you get to see it executed. Yeah. In a boardroom and then down to the shop floor. Yeah. So I like it. I would have loved a professor that had that experience out in corporate America. I hear that. There's one thing to talk about it, Yeah, but how's it operating? So yeah, I'll tell you, thank you for that. Um, I I think, uh, I think being a consultant makes me a better professor and being a professor, I believe almost all the time, but not always makes me a better consultant. I'm a little less scary, you know, I'm just this goofy professor, (laughs) right? Dr. Quattro with the long hair. Yeah. You know, and and I get it. That makes me a little less scary. I'm not from like McKinsey and company or from Boston Consulting Group. You know, I'm I'm just a professor from a small liberal arts college. And so when I get on client sites, yeah, I'm a little less threatening as a result, I think. Um, And so that helps me when I'm doing consulting. And I know my stuff as an academic. That makes Mm -hmm. me a good consultant. As long as I can translate it well into practice. Yeah. Um, and then as a um, consultant, all those experiences come into the classroom with me. So I can do more than just say what the textbook says. Including bringing professionals into the classroom. Because you always Bingo. talked about bringing Matt Longstamper in. And yeah. how yeah. the students were to learn from him. Yeah. And then these panelists get a little energetic boost from from the energy of the kids. You bet. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a win-win. Uh, Matt Lockstamp for graduate of the college where I'm on the faculty, longtime quality executive at uh, one of the clients, company named Chatham, now owned by a global uh, firm named Sanofi. Um, yeah, Matt's a, a, just an amazing guy. And so having him visit campus was energizing for him and good for the students. The students you know, they hear so much from me. It's like, oh, great. We get to hear someone other than Quattro, which is a good thing. And um, so, yeah, Brent Brent Armstrong, who is CEO of another client, uh, DCI. DCI is a material handling systems company based in Memphis. So, 
you picture these huge automated systems that are inside like any FedEx or UPS facility that move packages through that facility. That's what DCI engineers and then constructs and puts into place. And, and Brent is going to come to campus on April 15 and visit my strategy class, my strategic management class. And uh, he's going to talk to the students about uh, human capital and strategic leadership. And I'm, I'm excited about that. And Brent will be energized by that. It'll be great for him and great for the students. Yeah. And what a big time commitment for him because you can imagine how robust the material handling world is right now. Oh, with- yeah. FedExes and Amazons and yep. even just like the paper products and the, the package products. Yep. So, yeah, that's great that he values your relationship and those yeah. students' development to, to come. Yeah, that's Brent. Yeah, he's an, he's an outstanding leader who deeply prioritizes relationships. Yeah, great. admire that about him. So we've gotten into the, the when and how mostly. So we've talked about how is it used, a mission statement. It's used internally. I don't think we can flush out totally to get to the what, like how would you start a mission statement, but if you were to give an elevator pitch on the what. So we already talked a little about the why. We want to align the team on here's where we're going. Yeah, yeah. So so how do you go about it? I think what I'm hearing you say, Jeremy, is say, okay, so let's say um, Unum. (laughs) Unum is a, the largest disability insurance company in the United States, and it's the largest publicly traded company headquartered here in Chattanooga. Uh, they're spitting distance from where we're sitting right now. So Sally comes to me and says, hey, Quattro, we want you to help us think through our strategy, and we want to start with working on our mission statement. I would say, okay, cool. And she'd say, okay, well, how do we, you know, what's next? What's the next step? I'd say, you need to identify who your true strategic leaders are, that are um, that have the capacity to engage in the conversation about strategy, but also need to be at the table because of the depth and breadth of their responsibility. And ideally, they're not just at the table because they have to be, but they're also at the table because you want them to be because of their capacity to think about strategy. But either way, Sally, you got to figure out who those people are. And ideally, it's less than 10. Because if we get more than 10 in the room, we increasingly have a lot of cooks in the kitchen. And it's really, really hard to have the kind of dialogue necessary to get to the right mission statement words if you have too many cooks in the kitchen. At the end of the day, strategy is a leadership endeavor. Strategy is not a democratic process. It's not a bottom-up process. And mission is a key part of strategy. And I know I'll probably get some tomatoes for saying that, especially because it might sound inconsistent with, but Quattro, you said human capital is the most important and employees need to be engaged in a lot. They do, they do. But very, very few of the employees in an enterprise have the capacity to talk about and bring clarity to the strategy of that enterprise. And ideally, your leaders do. And so you want to get those right leaders to the table and then you want to dive deep. So that my first word of advice to Sally would be, who are your key strategic leaders that have the capacity to engage in strategy conversation? And let's start diving deep with them. By the way, it's going to take us at least half a day to kick off, maybe a full day. Okay. And by the end of that day, I promise you, we will not have your mission statement on the page yet. Right. Yeah. Will you pull up their old mission statement? Oh, yeah. Yeah. In fact, that's often very painful. Because they, they, they hear the conversation about what makes a compelling mission statement. It's enduring. It's ideally 15 words or less. Mm-hmm. It's easily memorized right. and energizing. And then most mission statements you put on the page are none of those things. 
So where do you go from there? And then we start diving deep. We beat it up. And I start first, though, like I did here, but at much more length with saying, hey, let's rev up to this. Let's okay. not jump right into tearing apart your mission and talking about what your mission to be. Let's rev up to this. Let's set the bigger picture. Let's talk about human capital. Let's talk about strategy. Let's talk about examples. Let's talk about the track record of success that 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 enterprises that have clarity on mission, values, and vision. Let's talk about the, the research evidence that bears out that this really works. So let's set the bigger picture first. Let's also set set the context for this team. Oftentimes I get to the table with an executive team and they hardly know each other. They hardly know each other. And I'm like, wow, how is that possible, right? These people should be really, really supportive and knowledgeable of one another because collectively they are leading the success or failure of, in this case with Unum, a Fortune 200 company, right? So they really need to know each other better than they often do. Uh, so we start that process as well. Okay. In fact, uh, the, the, the mantras and, and there's a strong word in here. Okay. The mantras that I use with the teams that I work with is here's the process. Love the team, love the company, love to win, love to win. Love's a strong word in a business context. I get that. And at the same time, um, it's a darn appropriate word. Who doesn't want to work with colleagues? that they, in all the right senses of the word, love working with. And part of that is knowing them and understanding them. Uh, and so we talk as an executive team around the table. Hey, let's work on loving the team, this team. Then we're going to be much more ready and capable to love the company by driving out the right strategy, the right one-page strategy, mission, values, vision. Oh, by the way, loving to win, almost a byproduct of those first two things. Almost a byproduct. Doesn't mean we won't talk about winning and what it takes to win, but if you love the team and love the company well, get to the right plan, and then you're faithful to execute it and stay committed to and accountable to it, loving to win, it, it almost becomes a byproduct. And everybody loves to win, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the team that I got kicked out of the room, the, 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 the unnamed uh, Fortune 500 team, <laughs> like, all they wanted to talk about, the CEO, all he wanted to talk about was love to win. We love to win. And in fact, his, um, and, and at, at, at that moment, I was like, well, then why did you invite, I thought you, why would you have invited me to work with you and dedicate, you know, several months of, and, and 60 plus hours of this team of, of folks that you said, hey, work on our strategy, work on our culture, come up with some recommendations. I, I don't, I don't get it. Uh, and, and in fact, um, he, the CEO said, our mission is to not have a mission. And I thought, okay, well, tell me what that means. He said, well, you know, we've got so many disparate pieces to what are part of what are part of our corporate entity that we really can't have a mission because we're really more of a holding company. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, that doesn't mean you still can't have a mission, right? And so it was it was really to circle back to that. It was a really interesting moment of, um, I believe, in that case, that particular leader didn't really want the team to really invest the time to love the team and really didn't have an understanding of how that team could best love the company because uh, he didn't even believe that a mission was necessary for the success of the company. Uh, so loving to win is, to the third part there, loving to win is very unlikely uh, if you don't first have a leadership team that really understands and appreciates and love one another and loves the company well by working hard to get to the right plan. And then executes against that plan. Yeah. 
So well said. This is putting you on the spot. You've already mentioned Simon Sinek. Yeah. Who would be your other go-to person? There's one name. Yeah, Michael around. Porter. Michael Porter. What hands about down. there's another? That's not the name I was thinking of. Huh. There's another organizational management. Oh, Lencioni. Patrick Lencioni is another very one. influential. Even, even for older me. school. Yeah, Cotter's another. Cotter. John Cotter. Yeah. Good job. So, I knew you'd be up for it. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. There's three names for our audience. So, yeah. Yeah. But Simon Sinek is a more recent name. Yeah. Talking about the infinite game and all those yeah. kind of things. Yeah. Sinek's a great contemporary voice. Um, you know, it kind of, you kind of have this bimodal distribution in response to Sinek. People either love him or hate him. And I'm like, I love him. It, you know, he, he describes himself as an eternal optimist. And who doesn't want to hang out with optimists, right? Who are willing to say, look at all this capacity. Look at the abundance that the right leaders and the right strategy can unlock. Uh, and then he's willing to, at the same time, say, and by the way, this doesn't work, this doesn't work, this doesn't work. He's real direct, but not in a pessimistic way, in a very unlocking, optimistic way. I'm very, um, I am very uh, inspired by Cynic's thinking and the way that he rolls and the way that he engages clients. Um, Michael Porter just understands strategy, okay. you know, and he's Professor Emeritus now. He's the, the guru of strategic management. And the quotable quote from Michael Porter I love. And when we get into talking about the vision piece of the strategy of my client teams, the where they're headed piece, his quotable quote is, the essence of strategy is deciding what not to do. The essence of strategy is deciding what not to do. Translation, there are always trade-offs. You can't be all things to all people. And so that better be reflected by your vision, where you're headed, where you're trying to take your company. Don't try to be all things to all people. Uh, Cotter, big influencer on my thinking because he's all about the fact that executive leaders lead, they don't manage. They, they develop and they bring clarity to the strategy of the enterprise. And then they spend essentially all of their time, once they have that clarity, aligning people and managing performance around that strategy. They don't get into the weeds. They stay away from the doing. They lead, they don't do. Cotter's spot on there. Lencioni's just really spot on in the sense that he understands that the ideal executive as part of an executive team is humble, hungry, and smart. Okay. All three, important. Almost all executives at any table that I sit down with the team, they're all hungry. Almost all of them. Otherwise, how, why would they be at that seat, right? Under that stress. Less true of the humility and the smarts. So, and smarts, by the way, doesn't mean cognitive intelligence. It means emotional intelligence. Okay. Which surprises a lot of people. And Lencioni wants it that way because he wants to pull them in. Because everybody, you know, yeah, I'm smart, obviously. Are you emotionally smart? Are you psychologically smart? So colloquially, the best, the ideal team players, and I use that uh, book and I use the self-assessment with the executive teams that I work with, humble. Colloquial, a humble team player and executive says, hey, there you are. A hungry executive and team player says, hey, here I am. And a smart executive team player says, how do they feel? How do I feel? All three, all the time. That's a very easy to understand construct, very powerful if you live it out as part of an executive team. So yeah, I weave Lencioni's uh, work in in that way. Yeah. Thanks, Scott. Well summarized. Everybody can tell that I'm a big fan of Donald Miller. Donald Miller helps take those gems, those just 
that meat and helps me digest it. So thank you for helping yeah. digest some of Lincioni's essence and yeah, stuff. So. You bet. Yeah, it's a lot of fun for me. I really enjoyed this. Yeah. Thanks, Scott. One way to learn more about Donald Miller is through the Business Made Simple University. I've got some subscriptions. I'd love to help people see what's in the university. It's an online, do it at your own pace, but I'm happy to take people through the, the course of the preview. So thanks, Scott, for mentioning your people and just want to do that call of action. Yeah. Yeah. And thanks for the book, Business to. Made Simple. I got my own copy. I'm going to dive in. Thank you, Jimmy. Thanks, Scott. Yeah. And if you want to connect with me, find me on LinkedIn or tweet me at J. Owen Miller. Music from this episode is from Luke Pygott. You can find Luke on Bandcamp. Thank you for listening to Entire Pursuit, where I believe we can dislodge doubt through engagement, uncovering inherent value.